0: BCG just came out with this recent publication on generative leadership, and essentially it talks about generative leaders leading equally with the head, heart, and hands. Um, There was a lot of research around it, a lot of data, and what they found is that the heart in particular is what people want most and what leaders do least.
1: Welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. And as always, I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and I'm joined
2: with my co-host today, Chris Petrie. Hello, Chris. How are you today? Hello, Jeff. And hello, everybody. I'm doing great, Chris, as, should I answer that question? Oh, yeah. yeah, I did so ask I question. Should answer the question I instead get... of just say hello back? Yeah. It I, am like done, so. <laughs> I am doing wonderful. I am doing wonderful. Thank you for asking, Jeff. And for giving me the place <laughs> to answer fully. <laughs> I mean, I, this sounded done to me, so I moved on. I apologize. <laughs> no
1: worries. Chris, you know how this works. We love to have conversations with guests that have stories, experiences, expertise, passions. And today, of course, is another good one. Our guest today is Brittany Heflin, and she is a certified leadership coach with over 10 years of experience as an HR organizational effectiveness professional. And she's currently the people strategy and coaching offer manager at Boston Consulting Group. I'd like to welcome Brittany to the show. How are you, Brittany?
0: Hi, great. I am doing great.
1: Oh, see, she, good job. She, she, I finished. She, 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 took, she took notes and she executed. Yeah. Um, Brittany, vicarious um, learning.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, regardless of anyone's current roles and current, you know um, activities, I always want to start from the same point. Can you share with us uh, your passion and where it comes from, the journey that got you to it?
0: Mm. So, um, I love this because I was just asked a really interesting question not too long ago about my passion, um, and some coaching practice I was doing. And it's really funny because I had never connected this all the way back to high school, which I have to do because Chris is on with me. Um, but I did in that question, I just, something really popped up. So I'm going to go all the way back to high school where, um, Chris and I started our journey together and then had some more times where we ran into each other. <laughs> yes. Um, and we can get into that, but, yeah. um, so all the way back in high school, and this you know sounds a little bit sometimes funny, but I was on the dance team and then um, became the captain of the dance team my senior year. And it's the last time. So the question that I was asked was, when's the last time you felt just as passionate as you do about the work you do right now around leadership? Um, and I went all the way back to then, which was a long time ago. Um, and I think I went back to it because it actually really connects to what I do today. Um, and if I think about the leadership that I was able to step into, sort of leadership in practice, I loved it. I mean, and it, it's all the things you think about with leadership, galvanizing a team to work together, um, pulling together different skills, you know, that are on varying levels. We had a dance team of about a hundred different people Um, with all different backgrounds. Some had had a ton of dance experience, some had had very little, um, but you needed to rally them around sort of a North star and get the team working together um, to then bring them together and deliver something beautiful in a dance. And so I go back to that because I really enjoyed being the leader in that role. Um, And then I think through my time now today, that's led me to the passion that I have for leadership and how important I think leadership is um, in the world, quite honestly, as well as in organizations.
1: I love that. I love that origin story. I think um, that's always my favorite analogy, like sports teams, competition teams, those types of groups that get together to really rally behind like a strong objective and like work together to push each other i mean that's essentially what we want in the workplace as well right i think uh, somehow we've gotten a focus on culture and then it turned into oh we're all family but i mean families don't get things done for the most part right like so <laughs>
2: right. so i
1: love i love that your leadership journey starts back with something like that because i i completely agree i think that's 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 where you get a lot done with very little sometimes and that's that's where the real magic happens.
0: Right,
2: and I, exactly. And I'm just gonna take us down the rabbit hole for a little bit because, <laughs> not just because Brittany and I went to high school together and not just because my sister was also on that same dance team uh, before Brittany joined that. Um, and not just because I pulled the rope on the spring show and I got to see all of the uh, rehearsals and the prep that goes into making you know a dance a dance. But what I can say is, compared to other sports, compared to other teams, to me, dance is the pinnacle of teamwork because on a football team, nobody has to throw the ball the same way as the next person at the same time and with the same movement, with the same sort of spin of the wrist, nothing. But with a dance team, everybody on that floor has to be doing the same thing at the same time, the same way for that dance to be seen as effective, successful, or beautiful from that of the audience, right? And so to me, hearing you talk about that experience being the captain of over a hundred teenage girls, (laughs) you know, teenagers, right. Um, Who are all sort of there different, you know, different dance styles, different dance backgrounds, all that. And being able to come together to do the same movement at the same time in the same spot is to me always a work of magic and just being behind the scenes and seeing that come together. It's like, nothing you've ever seen yeah. i say the best the best sound of the world is hearing dancers dance with no music because all you hear is the feet hitting the stage and it's all coming together at the same time and it's just like a nice little beat that's sort of steady that was the coolest experience from going back to that time if you <laughs> let me I, go down that rabbit hole
0: <laughs> and i love that and i'll I'll add to that just a little bit back to my origin mm-hmm. story and connecting the dots to so what i do today is um there is a difference, I agree, from sports teams to dance. And because in sports teams, it's always um, winning equals winning the game, right? Um, and in dance, yes, there is an element of that. There's competition, but it's all judgment at the end of the day, right? It's people sitting in front and saying, hey, judge, I'm judging you on this. Um, and that was something, so, so to be really vulnerable here, like I was not the best dancer. I should not have been captain. Um, but I loved leading a team. And I felt really passionate about pulling together the heart of a team. Um, and to this day, I went back recently, you know, this is what you do when you get older, your mom, yeah. your parents are like, get all your stuff out of my house. But anyway, I went back and I read <laughs> through some old notes of just um, what people said about, you know, the leadership and the bringing the team together. And I think there's something about reframing what winning means for the team, right? And and so there, you can really do that in dance because did we feel that we made, you know a beautiful choreography and something, you know that we can be proud of that can be winning versus did we win every competition, right? And so it's a little bit easier to do that reframe of what winning really means um, in something like dance or an art, so to speak um, versus in sports sometimes.
1: Yeah. You, you, you brought up something super important to me, which is that, you know, you kind of mentioned back then that, oh, you, sh- you shouldn't have been captain because you weren't the best dancer. And that's such, you know, I'm curious your thoughts on that today in the workplace, because, you know, th- should the, you know, should the best, you know, skilled person be the leader and vice versa? Should the leader have the most skills? Because, um, you know, there are other skills at play as well when it comes to leadership, right? The, the skills of leadership, Mm-hmm. which aren't always going to be the dancing or in the case of workplace, the technical skills or, you know, the people's, all those things. So like, how has that uh, changed now for you, that perspective?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great question. And it's, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, long lives the debate of, you know, do we put a technical person in a leadership job? Can a technical person be a leader? So I, I sort of stand on the middle of this because I do think um. So for me, I learned that you can be a leader without the technical skills. And I absolutely still believe that's true. I've also seen people step into leadership roles without the technical skills and then think that they know best and not leverage your team. So really, they're going into the role probably without good technical skills or good leadership skills. And then that's just, um, you know, two two bad things coming together. Um, but I do think that um, you you can be a good technical expert and a good leader. And so I think that it's, it's really what you bring though, in that leadership. And I think you have to learn how to use your team. Like, so sometimes I think with technical experts, it's hard to let go of that, right? And so, um, you know, and going all the way back to the dance world, I think you can have a really great dancer as captain Um, But if they're only focused on themselves and they're only focused on how do I have the best solo or um, whatnot, then that's that's not really leading a team. You know, you're you're doing well and you're winning, but you're not pulling the team together to win. Um, And so I so anyway, that doesn't exactly answer the question, but I think I have I have sort of a flexible view on that. Right. And I think there's lots of opinions and the leadership theory space of technical versus non-technical leaders.
1: Sure, absolutely. I think it's not a decided upon
2: answer for that, for sure.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but I do think that there is something in that, you know, how can a non-technical leader be respected inside of a leadership position, right? And like that what's required. Right. And I'm, I know that relationship of course is fundamental to having that respect earned, but curious to hear if you've seen any sort of ways or tactics or strategies that non-technical leaders employ to get that respect and sort of, you know, become that leader that even technical people might cherish despite their lack of maybe having the same expertise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a few things come to mind off the cuff for me, right? I can see, um, you know, in in a, my previous company, there was a lot of cross-functional kind of leadership. And I think that's actually one of the things that um, I think can be really done really well in a company, again, depending on the person. But some of the people that I saw succeed best were those that came in and were humble and said... I, I don't know this and I'm going to need all of you. Right. And so really leveraging that team approach to say, um, I can't, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to need your else, your, your help with this. So I think humility is huge, like as a key first step coming in and saying that um, and then following up. So not just saying I need to lean on you, but following up um, by learning. Um, And so it's, it's a, it's a balance between I'm going to be humble. I need, I need your help, but I'm also not just going to stay in my cave and not learn what you're doing. I'm going to become an expert by learning through you. Tell me what I need to be reading, right? Tell me what I need to be doing. I mean, Chris, I'm thinking back to a leader. I know we worked with before who was a non-technical and ended up being like out in the spotlight as one of the best IT leaders, you know, that you can think of with no (laughs) IT background. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of that came from humility and leaning in to learn um, and depending on his team um, to really teach him what he needed to know. And team all the way down to the front line, I should say, listening all the way down, not just the people around.
2: Yeah. No, I think that's a great example. And I know part of part of sort of learning to be a leader Um, you know i i truly believe in the statement that leadership development is personal development right like you really have to know who you are because you lead from who you are and not what you know (laughs) right in many cases Um, and so i'm really curious to know like or hear your Your perspective on like developing the person as a leader right like really like you know getting beyond the technical skills but like getting into that space where you as a leader really understand your leadership style but also it works for you it works for others etc so i'm curious to know as a as a coach but also as someone who's just been in this works in the workspace for so long what you've seen that works what you've seen that you know really pulls that person into the leadership position
0: Yeah. I mean, that's such a great question. And I've been, I've been thinking actually recently just um, due to some work I've been doing around like, what is leadership development in, in today's world, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. um, just, just to speak like, frankly, I think, I think we're seeing some really cool stuff happen in that space, but we haven't quite cracked the nut in terms of what does it really take? What does it look like? I think you still see a lot of your typical, Um, I'm going to take the leader out of their context. I'm going to teach them how to be a leader. And then I'm going to throw them back into their day-to-day context and hope that they've maintained most of what they have, most of what they've learned and apply it, right? And then there's lots of tactics to try to get them to apply it and accountability and um, coaches and all of that. Um, And so I think there has to be something. And I think some of the best leaders figure out what is my own personal leadership development journey? Just like you said, it's very personal. So there's tons of leadership frameworks out there. Right. But I think at the end of the day, it's, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my company? What does that mean for my stakeholders? Right. And then, so, and then take time to actually sit and reflect on that and ask for feedback constantly. So like build your own plan, which is why I do love coaching because that is what it does. I mean, it's, it sets you up. The coach asks you as a leader, what do you need to focus on? What are your stakeholders needing you to focus on? And how do we work through that? And it's very much colliding with what they're doing day to day versus taking them out of their context and then throwing them back in. Um, So I think that's what it means to me. I think that's some of the best ways to do it. And I think the best leaders figure out how to do that. It's not that they attended some awesome course or this really cool experience where they climbed Mount Everest and they had this enlightening and, and some of them will, but a lot of times I think it's just those that, that really take the time to make it their own and then think about what they need to do going forward. And it's a journey, by the way, not a sprint. It's, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm
1: -hmm. Agree. Yeah. Brittany, I'm, I'm curious in your, you know, in your experience through coaching and all the things you're seeing in the modern era, like in the, I guess I I shy away from saying, I guess, post pandemic, but essentially in, in the current state of things, are you seeing any like trends when it comes to leadership coaching, executive coaching and things like in the leaders you work with, or from hearsay? I'm just curious, what's going on out there? Like, what's the big, what are the big problems? What are the big misses that people are not getting now? And what, like, where where are you starting with people here?
0: Yeah, it's a great, great question. So, um, one, one area that's grown tremendously, I think, since the pandemic is, um, this element of diving into social issues, right? And leaders really needing to focus on that. So, um, Boston Consulting Group just came out with a new publication on a new kind of leadership perspective called generative leadership. And it really talks about this element of needing to basically leave everything you touch better. So making the world, making the people that you work with better based on your interaction. And it's, (laughs) if you think about it, it's quite a, quite a daunting task, right? To ask people to do that. But I actually think that's where we're headed. Right. And I think you're seeing that in particular, leaders not only are having to um, still do good business and, um, you know, have good economics and bring bring in good shareholder profits, but they're also having to lean into um, other things going on in the world, right? Um, with all the societal issues that have come up, you're seeing a huge rise in employee activism and how do leaders respond to that, right? How do they respond to um, employees feeling very strongly about things like LGBTQ rights and Black Lives Matter? And how do we, I think employees, because of this world we're living in too, post pandemic is work-life integration. Everything is coming even more together And I don't want to have to separate who I am outside of work um, in in work, right? And so, and I'm going to bring that up. And Gen Z, by the way, like is a huge, I mean, they're just going to rock our world. Like these leaders, so the ones that are on the forefront of this and ready and prepared are going to be in the best position because Gen Z got no time for it. They're like, bye, you know, you're not doing what I want you to do. See you later. And so that's huge. I think there's... There's like this, um, I hate to say like old school, new school, but for, for lack of better words, I'm going to say it. It's like the old school of, you know, leadership is about um, kind of driving profits and um, getting your team to do their best. And there was an element of inspiration and motivation in that too, right? Um, and, and purpose even had started to come to, no, I need you to actually do a lot more. And that's the new school way of thinking too. Um, beyond the profits. Hey, how are we helping the communities that we're operating in? Leaders, how are we um, making sure that human rights are thought of on a day-to-day basis? All of those things. And so, and by the way, it's not a trade-off of one for the other. It's you still have to do both. So I have a lot of empathy for leaders right now too. They have a lot on their plates um, to be able to tackle both of these.
1: When I yep. think of that old school style the first thing my head goes to is that just a comp- also just like the complete kind of lack of um regard for mental health I guess as an issue like that just wasn't a thing back then it was like um and today that's a very real thing a very un- what better understood thing and and a factor that every workplace has to think about are you seeing that yeah. pop up in your work as well
0: Huge I mean and and again I think it's interesting how Um, society trends are bleeding into the workplace, right? I mean, I think that you're seeing a rise in mental health just being talked about in general. Like, let's be real, right? 20 years ago, we just weren't talking about it as much. You weren't talking about, I just got the phone with my therapist and, you know, I'm I'm doing X, Y, Z. And so we're seeing, and again, this goes back to the integration between work and life. And so I think you're seeing that more. And then I think it's a question of, so then what role does, do employers play in that, right? Because at the end of the day, if your mental health isn't um, at the right state, you're not bringing your best self to work. So there's a lot of learning, I think, in that. And some employers are responding fantastically and giving great benefits and um, and giving mental health days and um, you know all of these cool things that I'm seeing. And so I think it's It's becoming really holistic in that regard in terms of how you view your employees. So absolutely, that's a big thing on the rise.
2: Nice. And I'm going to that, you know, same sort of old school, new school. I think what I see a a huge difference is old school ways of leadership are really focused on intent, whereas these new school ways are really looking at the impact, right? Like Mm -hmm. assessing what am I creating by, asking for this or commanding this or directing this. Whereas when you see, I even judge a lot of the responses when there are DEI issues that surface in the public, how are leaders responding? Are they still defending their intent? Or are they really addressing and owning the impact that they've caused and sort of finding solutions on how to move forward, right? And I think that there's, there's that rub that I see often in clients. And I'm, I'm curious to know if you've seen that or if you, you know, want to take that deeper and you know, share examples of what you've seen in just your work and, and even some of the relationships and experiences that you've had.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really great point. And I think it gets back to, 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 the, to the audience and to the employees, mm-hmm. right? So if you think about um, this Gen Z, quite even, you know, the millennials, um, mm-hmm. they're, they, <laughs> I don't want to make it seem like they don't care about intent, but they're yeah. being pretty brutally honest. Mm-hmm. They are holding these leaders accountable. And so I think, you know, with that um, and store, you know, the, the stories I've seen is, I, I actually, I really feel for both sides. I feel for the leaders because in some ways, um, and this might sound a little old school, I do think they're in a tough position, right? You're in a really tough position to figure out everything, right? And so I think that the intent can be um, learning, right? And potentially making mistakes. So there is an element of like, how much room do we allow for mistakes to be made? And what's our willingness to, um, to forgive quite honestly, when mistakes are made, but, and then on the other side with the leaders, how quickly can they correct those mistakes? Right. And what does that look like to, to your point on impact, um, that they have? So I, I think there's gotta be a little bit of empathy and regard for, for both sides, um, with this rub, as you speak, as we, as we continue on.
2: I agree. I think that, I mean, it's a balancing act and kudos to any leader that has it all figured out. I haven't met that person yet, but if they're out there, if they're listening, (laughs) please reach out to us. We want to, we want to speak to you. We want to talk to you. You should be writing a book. You should take over this podcast even. But um, I think that that is going to be with us for a while, to be honest, because Again, when you have I mean, again was it Shakespeare heavy as the head that wears a crown, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, um when you have all of this sort of writing on you, like it's very easy to make a mistake to somebody. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. At some point you're gonna disappoint somebody, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, knowing how unforgiving sides can be, um, especially in a polarized workforce where when you add the political factors, when you add the, you know, social factors, when you add sort of power dynamics, when you add all of these things to the equation, this intersectionality, if you will, um, it does create the perfect storm for all sorts of things to happen, right? Um, And, you know, in talking with some leaders, we've seen that they're not always accounting for employee activism, as you brought up earlier. They're not they're not thinking about, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to, you know, answer to my own people, let alone the press or the community or the public. Right. Um, and I think that's a, a new sort of crisis um, that many crisis leaders have to now think through is how are our employees now going to deal with this? And are we going to create a situation where we don't have them
1: <laughs> just yes. by doing
2: this one thing? Um, yes. And that wasn't true 20 years ago, like you said, it, like not only was mental health not a thing, but the fact that your your workforce would exercise their power to not show up and take the okay. ramifications of what that was, where yeah. that's no pay, losing a job, etc. I mean, you look at Goldman Sachs. You know, fifty percent of their workforce showed up yeah. when they brought people back to the office. It's like, do you fire people? Yeah. What <laughs> do you like, yeah. do, What do you, you do? In what that do situation? you
0: do? <laughs> right. I mean, and that's such a great example of this employee activism in a way of like, I'm not going to do that. Right. And. Yeah. And you see that there, there's, there was, a, you know, previously a lot more compliance, I think, to some of these mm-hmm. things that maybe, you know, as employees, we didn't feel were right. But I think, yeah. again, then the new age is coming up. And you mentioned something, one thing that I love, which is um, some of the best leaders, I think, are those that can recognize what you call these moments of um, impact. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, I've called them beacon moments in the past. Yeah. The ones that can proactively go, I think this is going to be a beacon moment. So I need to think I need to pause. I need to reflect. I need to sit in in this for a bit before I react, Um, because it's a beacon moment. Those are the best ones, because they usually are able to recognize that, know it and then re- usually respond appropriately, appropriately to where there's a positive impact or at least a neutral impact, right? Where you don't yeah. have people walking out the door. So yeah, yeah I think those are huge. Yeah,
2: no, and I it just, it seems like it's such. This is such a pivotal. This, one, this is an exciting time to be in this space <laughs> because there's so, so much happening that wasn't true 20, 30 years ago, and nobody's figured it out nobody has the a silver bullet nobody had like even we don't our book doesn't cover everything right and i think that there's there's so many aspects of this that's so complicated so complex um and honestly moving target right like mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. society changes as the pandemic happens right like we don't know what's around the corner right <laughs> you know change is the only constant and so yeah. it's just really exciting to be in this space and so uh, what i really want to hear from you and this is something that i'm just personally passionate about but for those who are listening who are not yet in what what we would call leadership positions, meaning they have the formal authority as well as people management responsibility, they oversee budgets and sort of critical things related to a business, what would you advise them to really think about or consider as they, you know, potentially in the future, you know, no matter how soon or far that is, take on a leadership position, right? What should they be getting ready for? What should they be looking to grow in personally or otherwise?
0: Yeah, absolutely so again i think it goes back down back to what we talked about previously which is it's really based on the individual right so the first thing i would say is start by asking for feedback from those around you whether you have direct reports or not right getting into this rhythm of um you know hey chris i just got off this call you know how did i do um you know, what could I have done better? What did I do well? Um, Like the day-to-day stuff and start collecting that and seeing what themes come up um, for you and then what you might need to work on. Um, And then I think there's, there's listening to that, but listening to what's on the mind of um, employees, especially as you go all the way down to the frontline and those coming into the workforce and what are going to be some of the things that will be top of mind for them and consider what does that mean for me as a leader? You know, how can I have an impact in that way? Um, I, think, I think those are, are really critical things, right? So it's kind of setting forth your own leadership development plan, so to speak. And, and what are the things I need to work on? What am I hearing from others? And then what are the, the trends that I'm seeing? Um, and then lastly, I would say like, those are the people usually to, um, that can actually really have an influence on some of those top leaders, right. And be the, be the in-between, be the conduit between sort of your, um, your big employee base and your top leadership. And I've seen some people do that really well and say, Hey, here's what I'm seeing, and, and actually, I think that's what sets those people up the best because mm-hmm. they, they're they able to, to see both sides. You know, we talked about the empathy on both sides. <laughs> they're like that person. Sometimes it can be a really daunting too because they're taking on that burden of empathy. But if they can do it well and they yeah. can position themselves to have influence in both directions, I think they'll be set for the future.
2: Solid advice. Very solid. yes, Agreed.
1: Brittany, it's been a fast 30 minutes somehow, and so I really appreciate you. Like I was like, whoa, time, wow, Uh, because of all. I mean, all the insights have been really, really helpful, really, really thought provoking. Um, If the audience has um, any other questions or wants to get a hold of you, what what can they? How can they reach you? What's a good way?
0: Yeah. My LinkedIn is the best way. Um, So I try to stay fairly active on there. So, you know, Brittany Heflin is the best place to find me on LinkedIn. Would love to chat. I am uh, clearly super passionate about this topic. So would love to keep the conversation going.
1: Absolutely. And you're in good company here. Uh, Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining us and, and sharing all that thought, all that wisdom, all that advice.
0: Thank you guys. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. As always, uh, we're putting on new episodes every week, and we haven't missed one in a very long time. I'm so impressed at ourselves. Thank you. Shout out to our executive producer, Maggie, who's keeping us going. Check out our book if you haven't, Love is a Business Strategy. It's still available on Amazon. It's still a bestseller. We love it. You'll love it. And subscribe. Rate our podcast if you can. Give us that feedback. Tell your friends. And Chris, thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. And with that, yeah, we'll see everybody next week.